0: Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is a special episode of Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the details on what went down in Larry Householder's public corruption trial. I'm joined this week, as always, by reporters Jesse Ballmer and Laura Bischoff, who are down in Cincinnati in that federal courtroom, day in and day out. Actually, we have Laura and Jesse in studio today, so that's a fun surprise. You guys aren't down in Cincinnati. I can see your faces. It's true. We had another Friday delay on the trial. So here we are. Yeah, this time it was
1: Larry, right? He's under the weather. Sounds like it. So not COVID though, or that's what we that's what we're told. So and uh, President's Day is Monday. So the federal court will be closed. So we'll get back to it on Tuesday.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about what happened this week. Juan Cespedes came and testified. And for those who don't remember, he is one of the men who was arrested and he pled guilty. And so this is the first time we've heard from somebody who basically says, yeah, I did it. I was trying to bribe people.
1: Yeah. So Juan Cespedes was a former First Energy Solutions lobbyist and First Energy Solutions was the owner of the two nuclear plants. It emerged from bankruptcy under a new name, Energy Harbor. And so Juan really testified about his involvement, a lot of which was transferring money from executives in the company of First Energy Solutions to various dark money groups that were supporting Larry Householder, House Bill 6, the passage of this bailout for the two nuclear plants, and then the effort to prevent House Bill 6 from being... Blocked at uh, the ballot.
2: Right. And I think that some of his testimony really kind of like bolstered the information that the jurors already got a, got a look at when the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, laid out all of these documents, all these text messages and emails. And Cespedes kind of like walked them through the backstory on some of these messages and said, yeah, well, this is what was going on here. This is what was happening. This was the intent. Yeah. So we got like
0: the what from Blaine Wetzel, the FBI agent. And now we're getting like more of the why, right? Like more of the how and the why. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I agree. And one of the more interesting, stunning moments was a recounting of how one of these checks was delivered. So First Energy Solutions decided that they wanted to give $500,000 to Larry Householder's uh, dark money group, Generation Now. They, which
0: was run by another guy who has pled guilty.
1: Correct. Okay. Jeff Longstreth, who we will probably hear from later in this trial. And so they decided to split it into two because they wanted more face time with Larry. And this uh, exchange of the first 400000 thousand dollar check happened in the office. There are a number of different uh, lobbyists that were there. And uh, one of them, Bob Klafke, slid the check in an envelope to uh, Larry Householder and said something to the effect of, you know, the company is very interested in this issue or we think it's very important. Larry looked at the check and said, well, yes, it is.
2: Right. So that was pretty dramatic. That was in, I think, October of 2018 that, so, that handoff happened. Can I ask a follow
0: up then? So, but Larry wasn't running Gen- Generation Now, right? And theoretically, he shouldn't have had, like, he shouldn't be accepting checks for just Generation Now. Is that correct? I think this is how
1: federal prosecutors are trying to tie him to Generation Now at a level that is inappropriate. So, okay. Independent expenditure groups are allowed to support candidates up to 50% of their total uh, spending, but the candidate isn't supposed to be orchestrating. It's also not supposed to go to like a personal
2: benefit. There's this fancy word called inurement that we've heard (laughs) a lot about. Right. So the the, the federal government is trying to show like all the ways in which Larry Householder um, really controlled generation now and controlled the referendum campaign and, you know, was personally involved Involved in approving mailers and polling questions and receiving and, really large checks and receiving checks and, and the rest of it okay that makes sense
0: and then one of the things that uh struck me as really wild about juan sasputas's testimony deals with public records and apparently like a briefcase and a printer
1: yeah so this was interesting For listeners who don't know, lobbyists are sometimes involved in the drafting of bills. They have expertise and, you know, might suggest some language. Sometimes they suggest an entire bill's worth of language. (laughs) But in this case, the House Republicans were printing out drafts of what would eventually become House Bill 6, And then providing it to Juan Cespedes in like folders or briefcases. And then Juan would take it back, scan it in, email it to his executives who then would make changes, send it back, print it out. And arguably, this is to prevent creating a public record that you could request and see the various changes happening to House Bill 6.
0: Right. Because if you email something back and forth from the official campaign, from your legislative email, that is a public record that we can get that theoretically the public can also request and get.
2: Exactly. The other thing that Juan Cespedes' testimony told us was it gave us a, a better picture of First Energy Solutions' involvement in this. Mm-hmm. You know, To date, we've heard a lot about First Energy, the parent corporation, which fired its executives and signed a deferred prosecution agreement and paid a $230 million fine. And we've seen a lot more on that side. Juan's testimony was the first time where we heard the name John Keani. He's the executive chairman of First Energy Solutions' now known as Energy Harbor. And he described Keani as this very hard-charging, aggressive boss who was constantly... Communicating. And matter of fact, he got a hold of Householder's cell phone number and then apparently was overusing it. But what was really interesting. So it was irritating Householder how often he was called. I guess. So anyway, so at one point, you know, he he came out with this story about how Keanu was really intent on making sure that he got the subsidy and he got, he was going for 10 years of subsidy. I think we ended up at what, six or seven years? Six years. And that he he wanted to go back and get another four years eventually. But he wanted the subsidy and that he only, according to Juan, Kiani only wanted to operate the plants after getting the subsidy for a short period of time. And then he wanted to sell them in a deal in which Kiani would pocket $100 million dollars.
0: Oh, so he wanted to make them financially stable so that he could grow rich is the, the line that they're using, right? He wanted to subsidize them to get a big payout, personally, that's potentially. That's, that's what Juan's Juan was version. testifying
1: yeah. to. And it, it's just a stark contrast with how this bill was pitched. If you were listening to this in 2019, it was, you know, a bill to help save these jobs, to save the nuclear plants, to save, you know, tax revenue for the surrounding area. To secure our energy, Yeah, to protect energy um, from the surrounding states or even surrounding countries. And so to kind of hear that this was also a way that, uh, you know, this executive chairman could get a decent payout from it is interesting. Another thing that Juan testified to was he was going to make somewhere between $2 million and $3 million as part of this because he had to kind of smooth over ruffled feathers that were expected with lawmakers and state officials over finding out that this company was going to be sold.
0: Gotcha. And he also, I mean, obviously he took uh, a plea deal. He also admitted his guilt, right? He said that these were bribes explicitly.
2: Yeah, he was very compliant and contrite and said he was there to be held accountable and to tell the truth. Under his plea deal, if he cooperates fully, he could get anywhere from house arrest to six months in in prison.
1: And that's something that attorneys for Householder, uh, especially, but also for Matt Borges pointed out was, you know, This guy is cooperating, providing information um, with a particular end in, in mind. But when Juan was testified, he said that the only thing he was asked to do was to tell the truth.
2: Also, that same parameter of zero to six months was offered to Matt Borges and he decided to go to trial instead.
0: And we also heard from another man who was arrested, uh, along with householder and Borges, a lobbyist named Neil Clark. And we heard him through audio tapes because Neil Clark died by suicide, um, shortly after his arrest. So, and there was some pushback, right, in having these tapes be entered into the record.
1: Yeah, so attorneys for both Householder and Borges raised concerns that there's really no way to cross-examine Neil Clark because he passed away in March of 2021. And so these recordings were actually um, taken as part of a warrant on a completely different case. They were looking into several city council members from Cincinnati. And um, so there was actually no warrant Oh, is this this all to for Neil? Some of the undercover agents that were used um, to talk to Neil Clark as part of the householder case were also used in the Sittenfeld case. Um, So we have the same, like, undercover Rob, Brian, and Vinny. (laughs) Um, But it is worth noting that there were no kind of warrants that were approved. For either Householder, or Borges, or Jeff Longstreth, the political consultant that we mentioned before. So these audio recordings that we have are actually from a warrant for a different case, but they just kept listening to Neil Clark. And as one of the FBI agents testified, Neil Clark talks a lot.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Householder's attorney, Rob Glickman, kind of like, uh, you know, tried to impeach um, Neil Clark as somebody who was talked about himself a lot and he was very boastful and engaged in puffery um, <laughs> which, which you know I, if you I, knew
0: him isn't exactly incorrect oh no it's spot yeah. on
2: like he <laughs> you know Neil was he was a, quite a character I knew him for a good 20 years or so you know it's interesting because Clark was advising these undercover FBI agents posing as real estate developers to give money to dark money groups as a way of getting noticed and getting access
0: Mm-hmm. And which isn't on its face, I mean, illegal. You, that's that's kind of how these dark money groups
2: work. Sure. Although the politician, if they're not coordinating, shouldn't know about the contributions. Correct. And they anyway, he 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 uh, advised that maybe they wanted to give a fifty thousand dollar check, that that was going to be a, quote, noticeable amount, but mm-hmm. not too much, you know, not too eye raising. Gotcha. The check never got handed off, even after this long four hour dinner at a private dining club in Grandview was held. And I think that the household team was trying to make a point like, hey, the the money was never exchanged. But the FBI agent said, look, we we obtained the information that we needed. We found out that Jeff Longstreth was the point of contact for Generation Now. And we decided that, you know, rather than depositing $50,000 into Generation Now of the FBI money, it'd be better spent elsewhere. Oh, also, I would like to say that the FBI is terrible at picking places To record conversations because the quality of these tapes, the background noise, the background noise. Oh, my God. They'd be so (laughs) bad at radio.
1: There's also some, you know, waiter waitresses who are offering calamari who are now being played in uh, federal court. So that's always interesting. (sighs)
2: But Have, I mean, on the Tyler Furman tapes, yeah. there was like a, when they first started, there was an, a FedEx, they, they, they sat they outside, they yeah. outside at an outdoor patio and there was a FedEx truck that was idling and then it pulled away and I was like, okay, good. Now I can hear it a little bit more clearly. And then a Brinks truck pulls up and <laughs> idles for a chunk of the time. And I was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you see it on television,
0: like, right, they're probably, like, creating way better audio than you capture in the wild in real life.
2: The audio was best at that private dinner because they went ahead and rented out the whole restaurant for the evening.
0: Oh. To the tune
2: of about
0: $2,700. Wow. Okay. So, what can we expect next week? Providing that uh, Larry Householder is healthy enough to continue the trial.
1: Yeah, so starting next week, we're probably going to hear from a number of people. We're not 100% sure the order, but I think you can expect to hear from former rep Dave Greenspan, who was the one who initially kind of kicked off this case. He uh, was concerned about the pressure that he was facing to vote yes on House Bill 6. He ultimately voted no. And we heard some testimony um, from the Neil Clark tapes about how upset householder was at Dave Greenspan, how he was slow walking, if not killing uh, the effort to legalize sports betting because of his frustration with Dave Greenspan.
2: So that is probably someone we can expect coming up. And for sure, they're going to finish off with this FBI forensic accountant, Chris Hartzell, who is walking the jurors through like all the money that went Hmm. in and out of all these different accounts and providing some charts and Information. And I think also we're, we're, we'll hear from Jeff Longstreth, who was Householders' political guy and the signator on the Generation Now accounts. And we still have to hear from Tyler Furman. Tyler Furman, right? Correct. He's, he's then, probably the
0: linchpin in the Borges case.
2: Yeah, I think he's a key, key witness. Um, and then, you know, once the prosecution rests, then it's time for Borges and Householders' teams to put on the defense and sow seeds of doubt and kind of, um, you know, make their case. Possibly testify. Yeah. I mean, the under, you know, the Borges and Householder have a constitutional right to testify in their own defense. And um, as we know, innocent until proven guilty in our system. Yeah. And Householder has said that he wants to testify. So I think that's likely.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think. And like I've said before, like he is a skilled politician. He is used to being asked all kinds of like what you might call gotcha questions. He knows how to give a speech, how to talk. Like, Honestly, like he probably could do very well on the stand.
2: I, you know, I would say that Borges and Householder are both skilled communicators. They're very persuasive. Um, You know, their careers have been built on convincing people of their, their side of the story, their pitch, their ideas. But being on a stand under oath, under cross-examination is an entirely different thing than a press conference or a fundraiser or a political speech.
0: So you're saying prosecutors are scarier than reporters. That is my take on (laughs) it.
2: Maybe Maybe they just have sharper knives, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the New Philadelphia Times Reporter. That's timesreporter.com.